0: You're welcome to face to face broadcast. This message will take you from where you are to where you ought to be. Praise the Lord. This morning I'd like to open sharing some thoughts that I believe will be a blessing to us and will guide us. And because of this, as every other speaker comes to speak, you know, what really matters most of the time is not how much of information you have come in contact with. It is the impact of the information in your heart. Hallelujah. I'll take that again. Most of the time, what really counts is not how much of the information, the quantity of information that you have come in contact with. What really counts and transforms and changes the life of the believer is the impact that the information had had on the half of the year. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus spoke several. Days. One of the key things Jesus taught Is the parable of the sower. Hallelujah. And in that parable, which you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, all giving account of the parable, the most important lesson the parable left for us, because the parable made us understand that the sower went out to sow the same sower, the same the same seed. Amen. But it talks about the different kinds of ground. And then the interaction that the seed has with the different kinds of ground. And then the key thing the Bible said was trying to explain the place of understanding. Everybody say understanding. Say it again, understanding. That's the key thing. The sower went out to sow. Some fell on the wayside. They hid. Whether it was the seed that fell on the wayside. Whether it was a seed that fell on hard ground. Whether a seed that fell among tongues. All of the heart heard. Amen. The all heard. As all of you were here today. Amen. And you'll be hearing through our convention. They all heard. The sea fell by the wayside. They say they heard. The one that fell among tons. They also heard. The one that fell on stony ground. They also heard. So, hearing. Thank God for hearing. But you can hear. That means you come in contact with information. What impact will these words have on your heart? That's what really will count. And then when we are done with convention, you'll be able to look back and say, my life is, amen. Very important. So this morning, where I'm going to pick up from, I want to share a very, very fundamental thought that will guide the believer and uh, prepare you for all the what encounters you're going to have in this convention. Hallelujah. Alright, so we're going to look at 1 Timothy 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. I'll kick up from there. I want to talk to you about the connection between a good conscience and your faith. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy sorry, verse 1, chapter 1 from verse 1, my focus will be verse 5 and 6, but permit me to read from the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest have some. That they teach no other doctrine. That means at the time Paul functioned, some people were teaching some other doctrine. Hallelujah. He says that they might teach no other doctrine. We're getting close to where we are supposed so to arrive at verse four. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly define, which is in faith. So do. Verse five and six. Let's read together. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith on things from which some having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Amen. Write down vain jangling. Amen. I don't want you to forget it. Amen. Glory to God. Now, from verse 1 to 6, Paul is giving a summary of what the letter is all about. What is writing to Timothy, what it's all about. What he wants to achieve. Why is he writing this letter? After greeting and all that, he begins to explain why he's writing. You know, there are some portions of the scripture or the Bible that they're important for you to, for example, you're reading the book of Proverbs, you know, The first five or six verses, he gave a summary of why he's writing the book of Proverbs. That the young man might understand wisdom. Amen. All right, that he might understand that thing. He explained why. In the same way, Paul is explaining why he's writing to Timothy. So, verse five, let's go back to verse five now. He says, Now, the end of the commandment, what he means by end, the purpose, the end of what I'm writing, this instruction I'm giving, is charity out of a pure heart. Then he says, And of a good Conscience. Say good conscience. Say it again, good conscience. So he's explaining the aim. Why is he saying what he's saying? What does he want you to get out of this letter to the to Timothy? Charity out of the pure heart. Then he says, Put up my scripture, just and just leave the scripture out. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith on things. Amen. So, he he's saying, if you finish reading this writing, and you didn't have, when the Bible talks about charity here, it's talking about love, alright? We're talking about love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith on things. Faith on things means genuine faith. Amen. Amen. Genuine. Never say genuine faith. unadulterated faith. Genuine faith. So, he's saying, if you didn't get this, then you missed the point of all that he's writing. Glory to God. Are we together? And now, throughout the writing of Paul in Timothy, he spoke severally about a good conscience. Let say good conscience. Say it again, a good conscience. And uh, the importance, the connection of that conscience of a human, the believer in Christ Jesus, as it relates to his practice of faith. Hallelujah. You know, it, it's very, very possible for you to be born again and be focused on the word of truth without... Being impacted by the truth of the word. Amen. You hear me well. Where you are coming in contact every day with the word of truth. But the truth of the word. You know. Paul called it verity. Amen. The truth of the word. So here I'm dealing with conscience. A good conscience. A good conscience. Hallelujah. Alright. So I'm going to list out some other pictures. So that's. The end of the commandment. At the end of the day, the greatest thing he wants you to have is number one, charity out of a pure heart, that love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith on things. Hallelujah. You know, when the scripture talks about faith on things, you know that even when Jude was writing, he talks about contending for the faith which was once delivered, meaning that there's something that was handed over, transmitted to the believer. Hallelujah. And it is the duty of the believer to transmit faith on adulterated. Hallelujah. To generations yet unborn. Glory to God. Amen. Very important. And so for us to be able to transmit it right and make sure that we are communicating the right thing, we must practice our faith with a good conscience. Amen. Very important. So we're going to look at more scriptures. Let's go down to verse 18 of 1 Timothy 1. The same 1 Timothy 1. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 18, he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. You know this verse 18 so well. According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by then mightest war a good warfare. Now, the statement didn't stop there, even if he had made a point. So, you're going to war a good warfare with the prophecies that went before on thee. Verse 19, he you now says, Why are you doing that? Holding faith. Everybody say, holding faith. Holding faith. Holding faith. Holding faith and what? And a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made what? Shipwreck. Hallelujah. So you see good conscience again? He says, holding faith and a good conscience which some have put away concerning faith. What have they put away concerning faith? Good conscience. What have they put away concerning faith? Good conscience. And by that, they've made a shipwreck of their faith. Let's assume that you don't understand anything about English. Shipwreck, is it a good thing? Amen. May you be blessed with shipwreck. Amen. Is it a good thing? No, I'm asking. If you don't even know anything about the world, I think, accept that it's an accident. Amen. Amen. In essence, he's saying that when people put away a good conscience from their faith. Actually, Romans says their faith practice. Amen. Now, this is verse eighteen through to twenty. We have earlier read verse five and six of the same. That's the first chapter. First chapter. And he has said that hey, 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 those of them that have overlooked this area, they are swept. Go back to verse 5. Put up 1 Timothy five, And I would like to read verse 5 and 6 in um, Amira's translation. Now the end of the commandment is charged out of fear, and of good conscience, and of faith, unfeigned. Verse 6. In our case, from which some, we are not among the some, and we refuse to be among the some. Amen. From which some, having sweat. So I like to put up this in Amplified Version. Praise God. Amplified better. 6, verse 6, just to the 6. It says, but certain individuals, let's read it together. But certain individuals have missed the mark on this very matter and have wandered away. And purposeless talk. Amen. Now you use the language, missed the mark on this very matter. On the matter of a good conscience. Now, certain individuals have missed the mark on this very matter and have wandered away into vain arguments and discussions and purposeless talk. NLT, please. I because I, sort of missed the mark, that's why I'm, I'm going there. Verse six. Let's read together. I want to go. But some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. Meaning that when you look away from charity or love out of a pure heart, when you look away from a good conscience and of faith on things, everything is meaningless. Amen. Everything is meaningless. Oh, my my faith has produced a visa. My faith has done this. Meaningless. Amen. So, I want us to look at that carefully. Good conscience. Praise the Lord. If Paul spoke about it, just in one chapter alone, he had mentioned it more than once. If you even go further to chapter 3 of the same text, Timothy, the ninth verse, you find him saying the same thing. He says, "Having, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's talking about deacons in church. Maybe we just go a verse or two above. Um, First Timothy 3, verse 6 or 7. My focus is verse 9, but start from 7. First Timothy 3. Now he's talking about who should be a deacon. And who should be a deaconess or whatever. Not to know this. Lest being lifted up with pride, He fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report. Of them which are without. Talking about the unbelievers. In the business world. His neighbors. Lest he fall into reproach And the snare of the devil. Verse 8. Likewise. Sorry, the bishop was the first one. Likewise must be grave. Not double-tongued. Not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy Lucre. Verse nine. Let's read together. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Hallelujah. Amen. This is just First Timothy. And you'll be reading about conscience. And Paul spoke so much about serving God with a good conscience. The scripture talked about that. So, I want to bring you to that place because it is very important. It said, those of them that neglected a good conscience have made a shipwreck of their faith. I don't believe anyone of us wants to make a shipwreck of our faith. Amen. Is there anybody here that wants to make a shipwreck of your faith? Now, see, let me explain something to you. In your study of God's word, the scripture, it is always better that you are not trying to defend a doctrine. But you are trying to allow the scripture to speak to you. Amen. Amen. Because if you are reading the scriptures with a mindset of trying to defend a doctrine, you could miss what the scripture is actually saying. Because you are actually telling the scripture what to say. We are not supposed to tell the scripture what it should say. Hallelujah. You are supposed to allow the scripture to say what it is saying. And Scripture, only Scripture can explain Scripture. Amen. Are we together? Only Scripture can explain Scripture. So, don't open your Bible and read meanings into Scripture. When you open the Scriptures, allow the Scripture to read you. Amen. And if it needs to correct you, let it correct you. So here, when we start talking about things like this, one of the areas you will find is that the scripture will start addressing misconceptions. Hallelujah. Misconceptions you might have. It doesn't matter how long you carry them. But if they are not consistent with the totality of what the scripture represents, in the life of the dead, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then something is not where it should be. So, in the statement I made, someone asked me a question about eternal security one time. And I've explained it the way the Scripture explained it. Hallelujah. Alright? And one of the things that you read throughout the Bible, and I'm not talking about just reading only the Ephesians, but the entire Scripture, you find that there are warnings in Scripture. Everybody say there are warnings. There are warnings in Scripture. Just the one we read now in First Timothy 1, where the Bible said that some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Why? Because they neglected a good conscience. Okay, why would he say that? That means is it possible? Is the scripture mentioning the possibility of making a shipwreck, amen, of my faith? Please go back to that scripture, First Timothy 1. The last one um, we read, 16. 18, sorry. 18. I think we didn't read one scripture. Thank you. 19, go to 19. The scripture I want us to read in is that good Good. from having put away concerning faith have made secret. Verse 20 is what I wanted to read. Let's read it together. Of whom? He now gave example. I mean, it has happened before. Of whom is what? Hamenea and Alexander. I don't know if your name is there. Amen. Whom I have delivered unto what? Who is talking? Uh, Who who is talking, please? Who is Paul? Amen. The apostle of what? Of grace. Amen. Whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Meaning that if he was. Listen, he said, I have delivered them. That means they were not with Satan before. Amen. If someone with Satan, you're not delivering someone that is with Satan with Satan. Are you understanding I have delivered. I have. So I found out that I can I also have, have this ministry. I can also deliver. Amen. If Paul could deliver anyone, Amen. I I found out that I could. Amen. The authority that Christ is Christ that gave him that authority. Amen. Now, but why I'm bringing up this scriptures for a reason. It should make you see that even Paul did not believe that someone could not make a shipwreck of his faith. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Paul believed so. And he gave the reason of how someone could position himself. And he talks about the good conscience. Hallelujah. And then he mentioned names, specific names. And in the writings of Paul, this is consistent. He saw that Alexander name come up again later. He said, Alexander the copper smith." we don't know if it's the same Alexander, did me much evil. Then he said, The Lord will pay him according to his works. Amen. Paul was the one speaking. Praise God. Right, but my focus here is a good conscience. And I just want to show you something. Firstly, it's important to recognize that there's a way the human is designed. When you got born again, everyone that received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, his spirit was recreated. You agree that with me? That's what the scripture says. If any, any man be in Christ is a new creature, all things are passed away, all things have become new. Now, what aspect of the man got born again see, you agree. Okay. Now, you know, most of the time in the New Testament, there are some words that are introduced. And um, it's important for you to understand how those words are used. Because in conveying spiritual truth, or communicating spiritual truth, natural things, um, or natural words, are not sufficient sometimes to express spiritual truth. Because the realm of the spirit is the parent realm that gave birth to the physical realm. Amen. So it means that the realm of the spirit has more content than the physical realm. Am I communicating? And so, except for where the spirit of God helps you to learn how to Teach spiritual things using words which the Holy Ghost teaches. You will be limited because you are trying to use natural words to describe spiritual things. Amen. Are you with me? Alright, so, like the word, like heart. ever say heart. There's a human heart that is referred to as the heart. The part of you that pumps blood. Is that not okay? right, so? But when the scripture uses the word heart, most of the time, especially in the writings of the epistle, it's not talking about the human part of your body that pumps blood. Amen. Let's look for a good example. Romans 10. Let's look at Romans 10, verse 9. Let's look at Romans 10, verse 9. <sighs> Romans 10, from verse 9 to 10, He uses the word heart. And um, it's important for us to look at it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Whatever you are doing now, your focus should be just giving me my scriptures. That should be your focus. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. I need them to see the scriptures. wait. Amen. You can pull a chair, we'll sit down and wait. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. We know what He says, but we will not say it. Amen. We want the scripture to come up. Amen. Again, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Amen. So please, whatever it you're doing, your focus just leave my scriptures on. The session has started, this is focused. That's what we came. Everything won't matter. What matters now is that we're getting the scriptures. Thank you. Now, in Romans 10, verse 9, let's read it together. I want to go. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, this scripture It gives the word heart. When well, you and I know that what the scripture is referring to is not just your heart that forms love. Amen. Am I communication? You read scripture that says the heart of man is just for every weekend. Some of you know that scripture a lot. Is it that easy to take your heart? Some of some people do have transplants. So let's suppose that someone needed a heart transplant and then they gave you someone else's heart. And that heart was very wicked. Amen. Amen. Does it mean that after the heart transplants, Amen, you wake up and become a wicked person? Amen. Amen. Or let's suppose that. As we say, Jesus Christ is in your heart. That means you have the heart transplant. The heart that have carried Jesus has gone. Amen. Glory to God. And so the new heart that given you need now needs Jesus again. Amen. Is that it? No, it can't be. Amen. So, so get the point. But where I'm going to, I'm talking about good conscience. But I need to connect everything so you see. When the Bible uses the word heart, most of the time, it's to convey a thought of the core of man. Everybody say the core of man. Alright? The same way you use the phrase when you say, I live in the heart of the city. It doesn't mean the, heart, the city that you live in has left ventricle, right ventricle. Are you understanding me? What you mean is you live right in the middle. Of the city. Am I communicating? Where it is happening. So, here, when the Bible refers to the heart of man, it's talking about the core of your being. The core of man. So, if a man believes in his core, hallelujah, that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confesses with his mouth, he shall be saved. Amen. Okay? Now, but in the scriptures, based on all the statements that have been made in scripture, the Bible teaches that there are four compartments of the heart. And I'm not talking about the physical heart. Alright? The Bible teaches that. It teaches that the emotions are a part of the heart. It teaches that the will is a part of the heart. It teaches that the thought, or known as the mind, is a part of the heart. And fourthly, that the conscience is part of the heart. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Okay. There are several scriptures to show that. Uh, for sake of time, I'll just go ahead. But maybe I'll just give you two scriptures. Let's look at Hebrews 4.12 and I'll look at Romans 2.15. In Hebrews four verse twelve, popular verse of scripture, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the divine and of Joint, um, of full and spirit. Then it says and of joints and marrow. Then it says and is a discerner. The word is the discerner of the what? Of the thought. That's the mind. The reasoning part of man. Of the heart. The thought and then intent. The intent is the will. Amen. Alright? The thought and the intent of the heart. So there are thoughts. There's a thought compartment of your heart then there is your will. Amen. Praise God. You know, there are people that sometimes, when we have talked about the intent of the heart, should I go there? You know, I, I don't know if you met people that say things like, me? No. Maybe you, you drop a piece of cake there, and I'll say, make sure you don't if it say me. It's cake. You don't know me. He made me leave the place. The person is eating the cake. Amen. Praise God. At the time the person was saying that's what he thought he was going to do. Amen. But the intent of his heart glory to God. Am I communicating? So the Bible says one way you can know the intent of your heart is through the word of God. The word reveals. Amen. It unveils the true intent of your heart. Why did you where what you want to do. You say, no, it's just for the glory of God. So, it's for the, you see, in my life, I like to glorify the Lord. It said very well. <laughs> no way. Amen. Amen. The intent of that. So, the thought, the will, the emotions, and the conscience. Never forget that. Amen. Okay. My second scripture is Romans 2 verse 15. I'm just trying to explain compartment of the heart. Then we'll answer good questions. Is this helping anybody? It says, we show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts. This now is showing you another side of it. Thoughts and conscience. Amen. Meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So, what I just want to show you there was the conscience, their conscience, and their thoughts. Hallelujah. Conscience and thoughts. There are several other scriptures. 2 Chronicles 29 verse 8. There are several other scriptures. Amen. Alright, so, but what I just want to show you is this. But when the, we start talking about the conscience, the conscience is the part that of the heart that gets convicted. Amen. The conscience is the part of the heart that gets convicted. In Romans 9, verse 1. Go to Romans 9, verse 1. Paul was writing, he said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also, what? Bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So your conscience is that part of your heart that gets convicted. We have the sense of right or wrong the signal comes from. Amen. Look at another scripture. John 8, 9. Amen. John chapter 8 is a popular verse of scripture, you know, where Jesus was saying that he that is without sin among the earth in too. Look at verse 9. He says, let's read together. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even until the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Where would that conviction happen? In his heart. His conscience. Amen. They were convicted by their own conscience. Are you with me? Alright, so that's where conviction takes place. Now, that's why the conscience has to be protected. Hallelujah. Because the worst thing that could happen to a believer is that the Word of God no more pricks his conscience. Amen. Are you listening to me? Yeah. So, here, we're talking about the fact that your conscience, good conscience is what we're talking about. Good conscience. You know, when you get born again, something happens to your conscience. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says your conscience, put up Hebrews 9, verse 14. It tells us what happens to the man that got born again. Amen. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience on what? Dead works to serve the living God. What he meant by dead works there is, uh-huh. Ritual observances. Amen. Religious practices. Um, you know that kind of thing. Some of you have raised this way. Let me have a diary or something. Give me that. Okay. You just wake up in the morning and say, when you this begin, I the to go church. You start going to church. No, today not church. Today I must go to church. Religious observances. Your heart is black like the devil. Amen. Are you with me? But when you get born again, what the blood of Jesus does, you know, Paul, Paul was writing and he said that if the blood of animals could purge them from outward sin, how much more, hallelujah, shall the blood of Christ poured, It doesn't purge the surface, it purges the conscience. That means that's the last point. Amen. Am I communicating? That's the last point from dead works. Dead works also means that efforts and activities that carry your life. Amen. They look religious. They look like committed things. The Bible calls this form of godliness, but denying the power. Amen. Are we together? So, there are some people like that. He said, but what the blood of Christ does at salvation, it purges your conscience. Your conscience is no more after that. Your conscience now is serving the living God. Amen. So every believer got born again and started out with a purged conscience. Everybody say "Purged conscience. What's the conscience purged from? Purged from dead work. Amen. And sin. Put up verse Hebrews ten, verse two. Just go to verse two. Thank you. For then will they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once taught should have no more conscience of sin. Amen. So your conscience has been poured from dead works and sin. That's what happened when you got born again. Amen. Now, pause. But, after salvation, you have a responsibility. Because, a believer can have a weak conscience. Hallelujah. Ever say weak conscience? It has been paused, but it's weak. What it means by weak is that the conscience does not have enough knowledge. Amen. Are we together? And that weak conscience is a function of what he knows. So, you can find a believer in a place where the reason his conscience is weak and he could easily get condemned is because he doesn't know what Jesus has done for him. Glory to God. He doesn't know. The conscience might be weak, but not yet defiled. Amen. I could give a different state a conscience could be in. Number one, a conscience could be weak. Two, a conscience could be defiled. Three, a conscience could be wounded. Amen. And then four, a conscience could be shared. Amen. Shared is S-E-A-R-E-D. Praise the Lord. Are you learning something? If you have a neighbor that is not writing down, you ask what did you come here for? Why are you here? Amen. Praise the Lord. When the conscience is weak, it's because of the lack of knowledge. Paul was writing in First Corinthians 8. Maybe look at verse 7 down to about 11. Let's just look at what to eat, what not to eat. Knowledge that pops up. Then it says, how be there's not, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Amen. Let's read for that. I want to say something. But meat commended of it, are we the better? For take his less by any means. This liberty of yours, my saints are forgiven, present and future, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Amen. Are you getting pictures? picture? Now, he's saying that there are some folks that have the knowledge, maybe of grace, of their liberty in Christ. He said, but how you exercise that knowledge should be considerate of the one that has a weak conscience. Amen. So that his conscience will not be defiled in trying to do what he saw you do. Glory to God. You know, most of the time um the misconceptions about the, the grace of God really. it means that even in the time of Paul, he already saw that these things would happen, hallelujah, if they were not already happening at that time. One thing he warned was in Galatians two, um verse twenty one. Put up Galatians two twenty one. He talks about those that, he says, I do not, he says, I do not, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In essence, he, he was saying it is possible for a believer to frustrate the grace of God. Hallelujah. To frustrate the grace of God. You know what he means to frustrate something? To rob it of the ability to even function. Hallelujah. Now, in this case, it's talking about the one that has not understood what Jesus did for him in the first place. Glory to God. If you read it in context, the previous verses where he was saying, Christ, I'll subscribe to Christ, nevertheless, and live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You know the scripture. But let me just say the other misconceptions of grace. So, this might not be your own issue. The second misconception given was 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Hallelujah. It says, We then have worked together with him to seek you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Amen. This one now has received the grace, but is not putting it to maximum use. Amen. This where many believers fall. Glory to God. Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians 15, where he said, by the grace of God I labored. That means that I didn't receive it in vain. I took the grace, amen. And I labored more abundantly than they all. That means I did something with it. I maximize the grace of God. Amen. The third misconception. Was what Jude spoke about in Jude one four, and it talked about those who have turned the grace of God to lasciviousness. Amen. Let's read together. For there are some men catching on a word who were before old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Turning the grace of God to lasciviousness is attributing the grace of God to lawlessness. Amen. Amen. Anything goes, anyhow, does come in Christ. Amen. Amen. Are we together? Yeah. So, don't forget that. We're coming from somewhere. Okay? So, I started by saying that someone, because of his knowledge of what Christ has done for him, has made someone else's conscience to be defiled. Amen. Am I communicating? Yeah. Especially those who turn the grace of God to lasciviousness. And so when we're teaching God's word, that understanding, and I said this, in Titus 2, popular verse 11, where the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. It didn't stop there. Hallelujah. The grace didn't just appear. It came to fulfill the purpose. Teaching us. Amen. Amen. Let's read the teaching part. We want to go teaching us that denying ungodliness and worthy loss, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Not in heaven, in this present world. That means that that grace is teaching us to live. Amen. Glory to God. How to live now? How to live here? So, if you embrace, and i said it this way, when we talk about the grace of God, there are two streams. The stream of the liberties of grace and the stream of the empowerment of grace. If you embrace the liberties of grace, my sins are forgiven, and leave out the empowerment, the power to live a good sin has come upon me. Amen. Then you miss it. Amen. Am I communicating? Alright, so the point here is this. Holding faith and a good conscience. Amen. Which some have turned away from and made a separate of their faith. So I say your conscience is the part where conviction happens. Amen. The part of the heart. Now I have several other pictures but let's just show you a few. Now, Paul spoke about conscience. Let's look at Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Then we'll look at chapter 24. I think after that I should be done. In James, verse 3. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. This Paul speaking. And if you also read other portions, say he was saying, Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know, he, he he talked so much about the conscience. But this is the last picture I want to give to you. Chapter 24, verse 14. 16, rather, I think. 16. Praise the Lord. It says there, and herein do I exercise myself. Forward, exercising himself, to have what always what a cons, a conscience what toward God and what toward- that's what he mean by a good conscience. Amen. Amen. That's Paul's definition of a good conscience. Say, conscience body of offense toward God. And a conscience god of offense toward men. Amen. That's what he meant by a good conscience. That means in the practice of your faith, there's really, really an importance on exercising yourself to have a good conscience. Amen. A good conscience is not a gift. It's not a gift of the spirit. Amen. Did you hear me? It's not a gift of the spirit. Very to say. Some people want their hands to be laid on them, they will be of good behavior. Amen. You choose to be of good behavior. Amen. You to be of good behavior. I said a lot of this for a reason. You know, sometimes when we pray, we are concerned about laying hold of things by our faith. Then say, In the name of Jesus, I take my street for Jesus, I take my city. I take this, I take that. We're not taking it to undo people. Amen? Amen! No, we're not taking things to undo people. Alright? See, there's a Lordship of Christ that we are establishing. Amen? Am I communicating? That's the priority. It's not because we want to undo somebody. You know, there are a lot of believers that still function with this, I pass my neighbor neighbor mentality, amen. So, all my neighbors must bow. My enemies will bow, you know. And without knowing, they've brought it into their practice of faith. Glory to God. Where somebody will say, well, it doesn't matter who it has. You see, sometimes even Christian churches, uh, or Christian fellowship groups. I remember a time we used to use a venue. Uh, we were moving from a venue to another venue. And we got to a venue close to where we used to be. for cheaper, something we could afford, very wonderful. So someone said, why don't you just take it? I said, oh, there's a church just nearby. to were a smaller group. I said, if we go there, we'll do them harm. Ah! So, what, what, why should we be concerned about? We should be concerned because we're on the same thing. Amen. Amen. I did not take the place. But I hear today believers pray for other believers to fail. Yeah. Because they believe that if the believer fails, then they will succeed. If no believer has to go down for you to shine. Amen. Did you hear me? So, as we celebrate throughout this convention, one thing I want to leave with you. Practice your faith with a good conscience. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You cannot see. Let me just touch some things so you understand. A brother comes to tell you, Oh, I'm interested in Sister A. I've spoken to her. I've even passed the laws about it. Then you are in faith to destroy the relationship. What kind of pretence is that? Amen. And you are and you're in faithful. You are breaking bread. Amen. You are fasting. Who you are praying against. There are many other Christian sisters that some Spacoli's out here are holding their destiny. Amen. You have not broken those ones. The ones that fellow brought That lost the Lord like you. Amen. Has managed to, you understand? Is the one you are praying against. That's an evil conscience. Amen. Amen. Did you hear me? And I think when we understand this, it changes how we pray for one another. How we pray. Sometimes another Christian musician is having a program and you're just praying for them. Amen. Bow your heads. Just talk to God. I don't know what you heard this morning. Just to prepare your heart for where we're going. Glory to the future. Just pray. If you pray in tongues, just pray in other tongues. Blessed be your name, O oh God. Makatas Sataya Bahakatos, Prediske Plotoso. Makatuske Preciste, Prediske Plotosa, Radasso Prateske. Varakatonde, Secretoso, katoso Catos, Prediske Pataya. Mako, Si Precesce, Prediske Plotoso, Prediske Pataya. Lebozo, Prediske Plotoso, Lobondo Prediske la Bahakatas Thank you for listening to this message. If you have been blessed, you can reach us by email on info at face to or call us on 234 806 361 You are big, blessed, and noted.